name is Ryan Griggs. I'm the host of Riginessance Podcast. And alongside me is Amy from Sell Beef Direct. Thank you for joining, Amy. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So to get started, um, you and your husband are, are first-generational ranchers, is that correct? Correct, yes. And that, that started back in 2018? Um, we bought the ranch we're on now in 2018, but we started in 2014 on a tiny wee six-acre property. <laughs> so what... Both working full-time. <laughs> Interesting. What was the catalyst to, to doing that in 2014? Um, it was always a dream of ours. So we'd all, we both come from um, the maritime industry. We've uh, worked, lived on the ocean, and we're both engineers. Um, but it was always a dream to um, raise cattle, to raise beef, to know where your food comes from and like provide an ethical food source. Um, pretty, <laughs> pretty strange for a former vegetarian but <laughs> um and it was just a dream of ours so we we kind of started with um six acre kind of urban property like it was rural but it was very close to a town so I mean like it wasn't big um and we had some horses that we boarded and we had four we went to the auction and got four steers uh, four Hereford steers that we fattened up and we kept one for ourselves and we sold three and we're like, wow, that was kind of easy. Can we do this on a bigger scale? Um, and we kept on. We kept on doing that just on our six acres to the point where we had, I think we had like 20, 22 head or something um, that we leased um, two kind of 10 to 20 acre parcels that we would graze them on all as much as we could. And then we would bring them home in the winters into like a sacrifice area and just like feed, feed haylage and hay um, until it was like, right, if we're going to do this, we better do it and um we bought the ranch around now so then we we moved here with only 13 head um in 2018 we both still worked full time and we would we're like five hours away from the coast from where we were and we would take it in turns to go into the office so to speak like and then um december of that year so december 2018 we both handed in our notice and that was it beef had to be our only sole source of income and um, it had to work so um, that first whenever you had the first cow and you had that for yourself and your family what was that experience like after just having that first food from from that was you guys uh versus just going <laughs> to the grocery store or the farmer's market I'm, I'm just curious what that was like um it's pretty cool having having just having it all in your freezer like the access like you find that you eat it goes fast. I always tell customers it goes faster than you think because you have it there. It's not like you're like, oh, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? It's just we have beef. We have so much ground. We have so many steaks. We have so many roasts. Like, it's just so easy to just grab something and go. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Because whenever I switched into agriculture last year, I had never visited a, a ranch or farm. I Maybe as a kid for some school field trip, but nothing that I can really remember. I never really went to farmer's markets. So whenever I visited the first ranch and had, it wasn't even my property. I didn't do anything with the cattle, but just having the, the farm fresh produce plus their beef was literally a life-changing meal because it just mm -hmm. not only tasted better, but you felt more connected to the natural world in a, in a sense. And so I can only imagine yeah. doing the whole entire process for yourself and then having that as an experience with your family uh, would be quite, quite the surreal experience. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
something that I think people forget is it's the consumer who drives the industry. So if the consumer is always just going for the easy option and just going for like the quick fix processed food or whatever, the industry will never change. But if the consumer is driving support local, support farm fresh, um, they are the driver and it kind of makes it more acceptable. Like I was doing some research last week for some material I'm working on and the most readily available statistics are all from, from the States, even though I'm in Canada and I'm from the UK, the most readily available stats you find are all from, for the USA. And it's um, only 8% of farms in the USA sell direct only eight percent out of over two million it's actually seven percent and then one percent sells through local intermediaries so they they've kind of been lumped into the sell direct so on one hand you have this massive following people want to want to buy farm to fork they want to know their rancher they want to know where their food comes from but there's this massive disconnect in well it's not that readily available you think it is but eight percent is nothing no that's like, that's a good segue into the the sell beef direct. So whenever you first you you and your husband handed in your notice in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, did you also start working on this side of things too? Um, in no, terms of the direct to consumer or what led to that? Well, direct to consumer. Yeah. So we always wanted to sell. Di- our whole business model was sell direct. We, it was never pairs. It was never feeders. It was never taking anything to auction. It was always raise beef and sell to a direct to consumer market. That was our business plan. That's how we got our funding. It was something that wasn't hadn't really been seen, um, and that's that's just what we wanted to do. And we started with. I think we started doing like one head a month or two head a month. And then we just slowly grew from there um, to the point where um, we're in. So we're in British Columbia. We're a grass fed and finished beef ranch that we don't like using grass fed and finished as a term. We think it's kind of overused, wishy-washy. I don't know. It's just we are a regenerative ranch. So we um, we follow Nicole Masters of um, Integrity Soils. Um, We... Um, our soil health is as important as our livestock health. So we do everything regeneratively. So we, like, we don't hay. We um, we kind of make our pastures as nutrient dense as possible with uh, c- cover crops. So we do no-till seeding, and we have um, pea and barley and sunflowers and brassicas and alfalfa and vetch and clovers and 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 and. Um, so our our pastures are so thick and diverse and then we will take them through. So if we were to hay where we are, you're lucky to get a second cut. Like we get a first cut, a second cut is pretty slim, but we can rotate our cattle through four or five times a year. So I don't know. It's just, it's like this. But funnily enough, when we moved here, we moved here with like, uh, gallons of um, graze on and Roundup and all sorts to kill everything, so we we could reseed and replant. And then um, the local farm advisory here put on this talk with Nicole Masters and Scott went to it, my husband, and he came home. He was like, "Oh my God, we're doing it all wrong, and we have to change." And I think we'd at that point we'd only plowed one field. He's like, "We have to stop." So we never plowed any more fields. We we um I think we still have all the gallons of that disgusting stuff somewhere, um and we went completely regenerative. And then the next year we hosted the clinic here with her. She came back, 
And I never like, it was all Scott's thing. And he was like, you need to attend. I'm like, nah, there's loads of people here. You're fine. I'm just going to go and do my thing. He's like, no, you have to. I said, like, well, I'll do, I'll do one day. And I did one day and I was like, oh my God, I was just hooked. It was like, this is amazing. And yeah, so, and the rest, as they say, is history. So we don't call it grass-fed and finished beef. We call it regeneratively raised. It's grain-free, but it eats so much more than just grass. Nicole Masters is awesome. I was at the uh, awesome. Na National Bison Conference at the beginning of January and she spoke there. And I could see why he had the same sentiment after listening to her because mm -hmm. I still have yet to And he's Kiwi too. Uh, <laughs> but that is interesting too, just in terms of labeling. I mean, in in the context of America too, with especially meat, it's all over the place. Um, so that's just a whole nother topic too. But as you continue <laughs> to to grow, because um, I know on on your Instagram you've talked a lot about pre-selling. Did you start that mm -hmm. whenever you first started in twenty eighteen? Or what was that process like in terms you have the ranch and you're wanting to do direct consumer? I guess, what was that plan looking like whenever you first got that head of cattle? Um, well, we didn't like, we didn't have anywhere to store anything and we didn't want to be sat on in inventory that you couldn't sell or we couldn't sell. And then you're kind of stuck with freezer beef and you know, it's got a, it's kind of got a shelf life, not really, but in like the terms of the consumer market, it does. So we, we started with um, advertising, really, but not advertising as in we didn't run ads or anything like that. It was more buy and sell groups like way back back then. I mean, it's like, what, five, six years ago. Um, Facebook wasn't quite as strict as it is now. Now you can't sell any kind of animal product at all. You get banned um, unless. Well, I think if you're running ads to and to something off site, it's different, but you can't post buy my steaks like they kind of slap you down um but back then we would i would just go on to our local buy and sell pages and it'd be you know like ranch raised beef um available end of next month um and people would pay deposit they'd pay us 100 bucks um we would like have a spreadsheet and then the 100 dollars would take would get taken off their balance and we would go on this little delivery route and at that point we were doing an eighth, which is, um, we call it a mini side. It's like an eighth of a cow, a quarter a side and a whole. And the eighths were super popular and we would just make them up out of stock, out of a carcass that we allocated to stock, but we couldn't store anything. So things had to be delivered when we picked them up. And then it just kind of grew from there. Like we could store a very small amount. We just had two massive big, and I mean massive, like bigger than a coffin, deep freezes. <laughs> And um, yeah, it just was from there. And if and if you pre-sell, you take the risk away. Like, I guess the customer has the risk um, that you could be dishonest. But then I don't know. That's the same in any industry, really. And you've not taken all their money. You've taken a hundred bucks. Our deposit is bigger now, but pre-selling was the key um, to kind of grow grow the business. So, like, what? I guess the first question is, how do you uh, pronounce your ranch, by the way? <laughs> why kick a hay? W-A-I-K-I-K-A-H-E-I, why kick a hay? So I'm curious, what's the backstory behind the name of that? <laughs> um, so my husband's a Kiwi. Hmm. He's from New Zealand. And where we in Scotland and you guys in Northern America, you say like the sticks or the boonies. Um <laughs> 
they say uh, why kick a moo cow, and it's it's spelled M U K A U, but it's pronounced moo cow. And we kind of laugh at that, and we wanted that as a ranch name. Like we thought that'd be quite funny. Why kick kick a moo cow? And when we went to register, when we were kind of doing all our incorporation, um, there is a ranch in Saskatchewan that is owned by a Kiwi, and he's called it Waikikamukau. So we're like, darn. Um, so our last name is Hay, H-A-Y. So um, it's kind of like a play on that. So it's Waikikahay, um, but it's spelled H-E-I. Um, and loosely translated, it means tranquility over running, running water. And we have three or four creeks that run through the property. Um, and some of them hadn't even been registered yet when we bought this place. So um, when they came down and did like a water survey, they actually named one Waikikahe Creek. That is awesome. <laughs> and it's a great conversation starter. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so cool. So I'm curious also, um, since moving on to this ranch, what's it been like just raising your family on there too? Because I know you two are in, in the city as well and that's obviously a, a vastly different experience than where you're at now. And we both come from really rural backgrounds. Like I'm from the North of Scotland. Mm. Um, and when I grew up, there wasn't a store. Like you had to drive for hours and then take a ferry over, over the Firth to get your gr groceries. It was like an all day trip. So like I'm, I'm pretty used to being remote. Um, and my husband's from super remote New Zealand where they still had a party line on the phone. You would pick it up and see if anyone else was on the line um and he had to do school he was in correspondence school so it was like they got sent a booklet in in the mail and we're not that old like we're in our 40s so it's not like we're going back hundreds of years it was just super remote so um this isn't it's not that much of a stretch um I think everyone when you get to that kind of stage in your life like you know you've gone to uni you're young city life is awesome like you party you have the social life but this is home like we even ask our kids would you move back to the coast and they're like no <laughs> they want to stay here <laughs> so that's kind of cool what do they like about it so much um so one of the things that we have here that is pretty amazing is we have a four-day school week so we don't uh, the kids go to school monday to thursday so every weekend is a three-day weekend they do an extra hour a day an extra hour a day or an extra half an hour a day and then when most schools break up for like summer, say on the 21st of June, they break up on the 23rd. Like they kind of make up those because they have to do the time or something. I don't know. But they love the four day school week. And they did that because it's quite rural with lots of bus routes. It was to save the schools like they took out a day and all the busing and that relieved enough budget to keep all the schools open. This was like 20 odd years ago. So so the kids love that. But they love like they love being able to walk out the door and go riding. Or my son's now more into um, ATVs and dirt bikes. Um, our little local ski hill is two minutes away, so they ski and snowboard all winter. There's lakes everywhere. Like I think there's a more varied social life rurally because there's always like there's bonfires and there's sledding and snowmobiling. Like there's no matter what the weather is, there's so much happening everywhere. It's kind of cool. The one thing I love about all of that is the one common thing is just being outside. And just, yes. <laughs> because now that's just completely flipped upside down to where we spend most of our time indoors. And that's the biggest change I've made personally the last couple of years is uh, just trying to get as much sunlight as possible. And that 
is just such a night and day difference. I know this is kind of getting mm-hmm. uh, off topic a little bit, so I'll transition a little <laughs> <Okay>. bit. <laughs> but going to the Cell Beef Direct, because I found that before I found your, your ranch's Instagram page. And I just loved everything that you're sharing on there. So I'm just curious, what made you want to start that and just posting and, and what are your, <laughs> your goals with all that? Because it's... Yeah, it was... Awesome. Um, it was last year, 2022. So last year, um, I would post like, we're really trying to grow our ranch, like to grow the ranch page, not just for beef, but for education on regenerative agriculture and the beef industry as a whole. And to really have a voice out there against the lab meat and the fake meat and the cows are bad kind of narrative. I really wanted to have something out there that was a resource for, you know, lobbying for agriculture and for cows so i would do lots of reels and posts and i was getting so many emails and messages of how do we do what you do how do we become a first generation rancher how do we sell direct to the point where i was literally saying here here's my number call me and i'd be on the phone for hours and then i'm like hmm i wonder if i should do something with this so um in january of this year i launched sell beef direct Um, and it's just kind of taken off. Like it got super, it was kind of plodding away, but like way from launching, I had people signing up, like people wanting to buy guides and people wanting to talk and people wanting calls because it was a resource that people needed, but there wasn't really anything there. Like I know there's some big names in the area, in the kind of, in this realm, but they're very expensive and, some farmers, I feel they need a lifeline and they don't need to be spending multi-thousand dollars for that lifeline. Because when it comes down to feeding your cattle or buying a course, I don't know a farmer who's not going to feed their cattle. You know what I mean? Like it's just, mm-hmm. there's just seemed to be a disconnect. And I wanted to reach those people, those people who really needed a lifeline, really needed help, really needed to change things around to make their farm profitable again and that's kind of what grew sell beef direct and um it's been amazing like it's been it's been it's been a journey but since i think may of of this year it's just steamrolled and it's um it's super exciting i think at my last count so i have i have like a free facebook group and i have my newsletter and i try and give so much away for free and then i also have a course um where i kind of teach one to one one to many to kind of help farmers go from never having sold anything direct to market to selling out. Um, and I, um, and that's, that's growing too. Um, I'm on my second course now, but I think there's now a wait list that I think I'm going to have to make changes and make it an evergreen so that people can sign up whenever they want. Um, they're not restricted to the next one's not till January or the next one's not till, till April. So it's just kind of, I'm not quite sure where it's going, (laughs) but I know it's going, but there's like, I think I have about a thousand people signed up in one form or another, but that's like from the free group. Yeah. I mean, I have 25,000 followers on Instagram. I'm not really including them in that, but people who have actually personally signed up to something is around about 800 to a thousand farmers and ranchers. That is so awesome. I'd love to help thousands more. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and I mentioned this right before we started. 
with farming and ranching, you're not just a farmer and rancher. You're a carpenter, a mechanic, a, a plumber, a veterinarian. A <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then you're also a business person. But a lot of, from my personal experience and just um, from hearing others too, a lot of them are awesome at a lot of those things, but might not be the best at, at selling. And so I'm mm -hmm. curious, just from your experience so far, what are some... I'm just curious to hear some of the conversations and just some of the major pain points that these folks talk about is that, yeah, I'm just curious about that. One of the, like there's, they all kind of interconnect, but one of the main pain points that I hear from people is people won't pay my prices or people won't pay what I need them to pay or I can't find customers. And the two are linked in that people will pay your prices. You're just talking to the wrong people. And not to be discriminatory or anything like that, but it also goes back to the consumer drives the market, that if more and more people are looking to buy direct, it will bring the price down. But right now, you can go into Walmart or go into whatever store, and you could probably buy a pound of ground for two or three bucks. I can't produce it for that. So that person is not my customer they should be buying that beef if that's the only beef they can afford to buy amazing beef eat it but for people who are conscious about the environment conscious about supporting local conscious about you know um um health etc then you target a different set of people and they will pay your prices so dropping your price is not a sales strategy you kind of have to remove that block and you're not going to gouge them, but you need to get your the price you need to be pr profitable. But you also need to find those customers. And that's kind of the disconnect that people don't seem to understand. They're, they're trying to compete with everybody. And if you try and do that, then nobody wins. You've got to stick to your, your niche or your market once you've identified them. That makes sense. No, that de Am that I rambling? Does. No, that makes that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, going back to whenever you were mentioning just the, the the sheer number of direct consumer farms and ranches in America is rather low, and I'm assuming mm -hmm. that you've talked to a lot and have helped out um, with with American farmers and ranchers. Yeah, um, I so my client base is um, I have some in Canada some in the States, some in Australia, and some in Ireland. <laughs> and they've all signed up to my course, but people who are signing up to the free group and the free information and the new newsletter are from all over. There's people from South Africa, there's people from Europe. Um, like it's, it's a process that fits no matter where you are. And it's something that's needed everywhere. Like if we support local, um, you strengthen your local economy which strengthens employment opportunities like if you if you were to buy if you were to spend ten dollars locally 68 percent of that so six dollars 80 stays within your local and just goes around and around it stays there whereas if you are buying from walmart i think it's not even a percent it's like not point something percent stays within your local e e economy so it's like well you want to provide food security and employment opportunities locally before you do it internationally and i think that's kind of what some people forget what harris talks about that all the time with white oak pastures and and he's awesome yeah um 
because I just listened to, to his most recent podcast on Joe Rogan, and he was just yeah. talking about how with Bluffton, that county was the poorest in America. And I, I forgot, I think 2020, but then how bringing back the local economy through what he's doing, more and more dollars mm-hmm. stay in, in that county. And it takes time, yeah. but you're, you're so spot on with all of that. So if you go back in time, like if you go back in time to like, I don't know, even like a couple of hundred years ago, if you had a thriving agricultural community, you were an affluent community because you're, you provided jobs and living and food for everyone. I mean, like they were the hub of any, any kind of prosperity was what the land could produce, whether that's mining or whether that's food, everything came from the land. Whereas now it's, it's, I don't know. It's not like people kind of have forgotten that and they look more for international and yeah. What's the cheapest I can get, but then what are the implications of that? It's coming from overseas. I mean, whenever you go into, especially in the context of bigger cities, um, you expect everything to be fully stocked and have no idea where it's coming from whenever you go into a Mm. store. And yeah, it's really interesting on that. And that's why, I mean, why I've started this and switching to agriculture because I realized how disconnected I was from everything. And I know more and more people are starting to wake up to that same exact realization that Hmm. shit, I have no idea the last time I've gone to a rancher farm. I don't remember last time I've bought something outside of a grocery store. And so it's interesting to see where that's headed. I'm curious on your mentioning that you work with uh, folks in New Zealand and Ireland and, and, and the States and Canada are the rules around selling direct consumer differ from from these countries um we all everyone has their own rules and regulations i'm more familiar with canada and the states than i am elsewhere but it's it's the kind of like like in the us you've got it if you want to break down a carcass and sell cuts and if you want to ship out with your state you've got to go usda um here in canada um, like we go to a provincially inspected facility, so I can only ship within BC. I cannot ship to Alberta. I cannot ship to the States unless I go to a federally inspected facility and there's not many of them around. Um, but saying that there's, there's millions of people in BC. I have a huge customer base here. I don't need to ship further, but, um, in the States, if you do USDA, you can ship anywhere. Though one of my one of my students is from Virginia, and if they go to a, I think something's like a Virginian inspected, they can ship all across their counties within their state. So they can break down a carcass, it just can't leave the state. So I think even little states have their own little bylaws and things. Australia was the same that the, um, the licensing was held with the processor. So you had to use an inspected facility um, and the same in the UK. Now I'm assuming whenever you're talking to these folks as well, um, outside of just leveraging direct consumer, do you talk about just leveraging the power of social media in terms of marketing uh, that you're actually the specific farm and ranch? Yeah. So my, my whole approach, so like we, um, when we moved here, I'll give you a little bit of a, of a backstory. When we moved here, we released equity in our house on the coast to purchase the one I'm sat in now. 
and we were carrying two mortgages and then the property market crashed. So it was a very scary time because then their house on the coast wasn't worth what they remortgaged it, it cool. for. So it eventually sold at a loss. So the bank then was like, we're super nervous because the property you have now doesn't cover the two mortgages at all. So they actually started to foreclose on the ranch here. And it was like, holy crap, really? Like that's no, like this, this is working. They're like, well, we don't, we're getting nervous. I mean, long story short, we kept providing them with order books. Like we went from six a month to eight a month to 10 a month. We had an order book pre-booked six months in advance. Like I was like, I have all these orders. And they're like, yes, but you know, we don't have any um, audited accounts because we were so new. So then event it takes 12 months to foreclose on a ranch. It's not like a house, which is three months. So at around about the eight or nine month mark, it was, we went over this account manager's head to her boss and said, look, we are bringing in fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a month revenue. And we have done for the last eight months. Like surely this is now being proven that this is a business model that works. And, you know, and he was like, okay, yes. So then, um, it, they all, it all kind of settled. Uh, they wrote off all the interest they we ended up in our favor because at the end of the day we were doing exactly what we said we would do in our business plan it was them that kind of said whoa we're nervous now so um but in that time that was it was very stressful like very imagine. very stressful and everything we had was going into making the business work so i didn't have i didn't have any spare cash flow to put into ads or like I didn't know enough to to go and pay someone to go like thousands of dollars and then ad spend with no guarantee that it's going to work. It was like, I can't, I know it does work, but at that point it was too much of a risk. So everything was, everything was organic growth. It was building our social media to, to the point where uh, people recognize our, our brand, like people recognize it hours away because that's how much we built our brand, but it was all done organically. So for people who are maybe not into writing copy and posting ad sets and doing A-B testing, and you know, like I don't know many farmers who want to go down that rabbit warren. So I try to make it as easy, as easy as possible. And it's just organic. Like I do do a whole section within the course going, boosting ads and running ads will make things happen faster. And there's a right way and a wrong way. And I hope that this this is the right way if you want to try it. And a few of the students have for like faster growth. They're like, wow, you know, we're sold out. And they make back their ad spend. But not everyone can do that. Not everyone has the luxury of I'm going to throw $50 a day at this ad on the hope that I'm going to sell something at, at the end. So that's kind of my, that's where I came from was, because we didn't have that luxury, I've kind of assumed that not everybody does. So if they want to do it, amazing, and they'll get faster results, but you don't have to. That's what I found funny on some of the comments that I would see under your post of just really negative comments. Uh, I mean, you've lived through the, I'm sure that was stressful and a hellish time. And um, so you have the skin in the game with this and you're not just grifting and, and, other the comments I was seeing under some of the posts were just 
I'm trying to think. I know that some people get all about, um, oh, it would never work or that's your revenue, but what's your profit? And I'm like, read the caption. Everything's in there. Like everything, I am not hiding a thing. And we work to a 35% profit. So obviously our costs are high because we're doing 20 head a month. So when I say we're making, we're bringing in 80K revenue, that's 20 head a month though, every month. But our costs are high, but we still work to a 35% profit. So I don't know. To me, it works. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And so is it just you and your husband? And three very lovely children. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so, so it is. doing both the social medias. And then I, I guess the next question would be is how are you able to manage everything? Because you've got obviously <laughs> the mom life and, and the family life, plus the ranch, plus helping other farms and ranches and just everything on social media. That is it's a lot. lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Have you have you ever heard the expression? If you want something done, ask a busy person. No. Maybe it's like a Scottish thing. Like maybe it's something my mum used to say a lot. That if you want something done, ask someone who's already doing things. Like don't ask mm. someone who has nothing to to do because they it won't get done. Even though they have all the time, because you procrastinate. So I don't know. It's like it's organized chaos it, it is but it's organized but um I don't know it's um compartmentalizing and sh scheduling and using your time wisely like like this morning I was a little bit late because we were doctoring a calf and then um a cow and then it was like running up up here and then I'm glad the camera wasn't on because I was stripping off all my layers <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's just you you find time and we still find time for downtime like um, that's super important but people who say they don't have time you do have time you just have to make time. I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm trying to think on the next. So in terms of the actual the cattle that you have whenever is this the same type of cow whenever you first bought back in 2014 or whenever you were looking into that what made you decide on the specific uh, um so in 2014 we just went to the auction and just bought four steers that for like feeder steers they were herefords i think we have one hereford now it's not a breed that we use so um we're very big on because we're first generation we don't have any preconceived ideas we don't have any you know that's how we've always did done it so that's how we're always going to do it we have picked breeds that suit our environment and that suit our model so we're very hands-off every time you touch a cow that's money um so we want breeds that don't need much intervention so we don't want to be pulling calves we don't want to be doing calf check every two hours because you might have to pull a calf so a wagyu we have wagyu um their babies are tiny. I think I posted a video on our ranch page of a Wagyu baby and they're, they're like pocket size. They're tiny, but they grow really fast, but they're little and they just slip right out. <laughs> like no intervention necessary. Um, and then the breeds. So our, we have a, a Wagyu bull, we have Galloway bulls. Um, so our, their main breed of our herd are Scottish breeds. Uh, not because I'm Scottish, but because they suit our environment. We're very mountainous. It gets very cold in the winter. It gets very hot in the summer. And we have Highlands and Galloways. So they have a very thick coat that makes that keeps them cool in summer and hot in winter. 
Um, and the highlands have these horns that help regulate their body temperature. You should never dehorn, really. Um, like when it's super hot outside, they bring they they flush blood through the horns to keep them cool. And when it's cold outside, they use them to bring extra blood into their bodies. Like if you cut their horn, they bleed. <laughs> so they use these big horns for temperature regulation. Um, and also they need less input for the same output. So by that, I mean they need less feed because they don't need extra feed to keep warm. But you get the same amount of beef at the end. So um, they work really well for our feed program where we don't feed any grain. That is I didn't know that about their horns. That's actually mind blowing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, but that's just still pretty mind blowing. Yeah, we got um, we got some, we got this herd dispersal. Like when we were still building our herd, and it was a herd d dispersal from somewhere up north, and there was two highlands in there, but they'd cut their horns, and these two highlands they didn't do well at all. Like they didn't thrive in the winter. They looked awful, and they really suffered in the summer like it was a shame kind of seeing how much they do rely on their horns do you plan to just stick with just cattle and just continue to doing what you're doing now or are there other types of animals or anything else that you would want to potentially incorporate um we do think like we have a chicken tractor um yeah. more from the regenerative side of things um and we have we have a pig that we use for ourselves. Like she's a garburator and then um, we get bacon seeds, but we don't, um, we don't um, produce a pork or chicken. Like it's just for us. Like beef is our mainstay. Um, and my, I mean, one of our philosophies is, is if you want to do something well, then just do one thing. Like don't, we're not ready to diversify yet. I mean, maybe when the kids are older, they might want to do lamb or pork or chicken and you know it could be an add-on but right now all our energy is in beef that that's kind of what we're going to stick with on the topic of beef so since i live in texas and cattle's obviously really really big in, in texas mm -hmm. um i guess what would you if you were to have any advice for cattle ranchers in terms of marketing their beef online um are there strategies or anything that you would recommend them outside of i know the just doing the the direct consumer um i know it's kind of a vague question um tell your story like um your story is massive like don't discount your story it might not seem interesting to you but if you think about where your customers are they're going to be in these big urban hubs and they find a ranching story kind of romantic but tell your story no matter what that is um and um, something that, uh, a coach said to me last week, um, was don't compete contrast. And it really stuck, stuck with me that if you try and be the same as everyone else, and you're going to try and compete on price or compete on offers or compete, 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 everything gets lost in the noise. Whereas if you contrast, if you make yourself stand out because you focus on your differences, then you can have so many players in the same locality but you all have a unique selling point so you might have one texas rancher who does longhorns and he can really start singing the praises of you know how it's a leaner beef and um, you can use the heads for mounds they have those horns for temperature control you know they can really start using those unique 
selling points of the Longhorn to make them stand out, not compete, but stand out against a farmer who breeds Angus or a farmer who breeds Brahmas or, you know what I mean? Like you would like pick your strengths and focus on what's, what makes you stand out and then just let, let the customer choose because you're not going to appeal to everyone. But unless you, you put your strengths out there, you're, you're just going to be noise. Like everyone's going to look the same. I love that. I guess my last question would be on the flip side. What would you have advice for the consumer side of things? Because I wholeheartedly agree that the consumers drive the price. That's actually why I have Regenesance in the first place of just trying to raise awareness and educate around this mm. whole entire uh, just agriculture and just going back to our food um, because the dollars drive the business and drive to where the market heads. So yeah, I'm just curious if you have any advice for the consumer side. Um, I mean, consumers, I find that they don't, they don't compare apples for apples. So the cheapest, most economical way to buy beef, if you have the freezer space is to buy bulk. So instead of going to the store and buying a couple of pounds of ground and a couple of steaks every week, if you can buy in bulk, you're going to save yourself money. You're going to have access to amazing meat, like at your fingertips, whenever you want a snack. <laughs> And you're going to support support a local farmer and rancher and support your local economy. And if the more that they realize this and the more they push and drive for that, then the price of the whole farm to fork will come down. It's good for everyone. I agree. Well, thank you for joining, Amy. Uh, if there's anything <laughs> that you'd like to, to plug um, before we go? Um, I don't know. If you are a farmer or a rancher and you want to... Um, get started selling beef then check out sell beef direct there's loads of free resources on my instagram on my website and um, sign up to my newsletter and then i do have programs and documentation and courses i have a free foundations for farmers course right now it's literally will teach you teach you um how to navigate social media <laughs> which i think is super important and it's free a hundred percent free um and then if you want to learn more about regenerative agriculture and about our style of farming, even if you can't buy our beef, then check out our ranch page, which is at YKK. Well, thank you. And I'll make sure to, to link all of that in the show notes. Um, thanks, y'all. <laughs> thank you. You can find the full video on YouTube at The Regenesance.